In part two of the Lady Boss podcast with M&A advisor Gary Arakillian, you're going to hear whether you're a solopreneur, a mid-sized business, or a giant public company, how you can set yourself up for your future. You're going to be learning all the tips to help you reach your financial goals that can set you and your family on your path to financial freedom. For the listeners, I just want to maybe give three buckets of um, paths. So, you know, on a company, smaller companies, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, Main Street mm-hmm. um, businesses uh, versus mid-size, and I want you to define that, yeah. and big size. What are sort of the things that the high-level things people should think about? Yeah, folks are always wondering what happens with mergers and acquisitions, and what does that mean? Well, it's really selling a company or buying a company, basically. Mergers is, is a term that's used a lot, but rarely do you see a merger of equals. It's usually one company buys another. And so you're, you're looking at aspects of uh, how they want to position for what they need and what they want to do. Lower middle market is generally in that five to $10 million in revenue on up to 50 to 75 million, 100 million. Uh, above that, when you're talking about a couple hundred million to a billion dollars, it's middle market. And then above that is, is totally different. But some folks are running their business and they're running it strong and they're doing fantastic. That doesn't necessarily mean that they can't position in the market. A lot of folks say you have to have a lot of profitability. You have to have really high numbers in order to be able to sell your business. If you're creating value and you can demonstrate where you can show value to a buyer, then there is a transaction that's possible. So you mentioned Main Street. Main Street are those businesses that are running solopreneurs, folks that are trying to build a services business or a products business, and they're doing it where they are chief cook and bottle washer, as we used to call it, and they are trying to figure out how, to, how do I l- get liquidity out of this and build value. There has to be a story that says, here's where this adds value to a buyer. And then it's a sale process. Now, just like anything else, you're going out into the market to seek prospects. And that's a process. Mm -hmm. And you can run that at any level. Now, there are businesses that have great offerings that aren't even profitable, that are sellable. Because there are ways that you can combine that with something else if you have the right story. So it's really doing the work to go second, third, and fourth order of thought. If we do this, then what? And if we do that, then what's next? And if you can build that link list story to create the value, there's a buyer there. Yeah, and I just think that that you point to the exact reason it's so helpful to have a bench because, yeah. like, you know, solopreneur, they're doing all that stuff. Yeah. And how are they going to have time and bandwidth to think through that? But it's no different than, you know, you, you find a big company and they define a, a, a little area they want to play mm-hmm. in. They can go out and build that like we all can. Or they can buy it exactly. and put it into their company. Bring it so in and fit it all in. of a sudden, a little smaller company is a really attractive thing to a bigger company because yeah. they've got a, you know, kind of head of sales. The solopreneur comes in. They have a little secret sauce. They know how to run mm-hmm. it, and they can put igniter gas because they've got money. So there's lots of ways that I think it's just um, we all get so emotional about our businesses and we think they're great or they're horrible. It depends on the day. But thinking through how would 
you know, we all are confined by, you know, people. We're either confined by people or we're confined by strategy or capital. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's more. But if you can figure out which lever you're trying to push mm -hmm. and then talk to someone who can say, you know, your business combined with this business mm -hmm. really um, helps them get where they're going. And everybody wants to, you know, listens hard when it's about them. So and that sometimes was... you don't know what that answer is until yeah. you have the interactive dialogue. Yeah. It's one of those fierce conversations that I, yeah. that I usually talk about. It's, it's really confronting the reality of what your business is and where it's going, how it could change, and what could we do to add to it to be, make it more appealing to make it saleable, if that's what you want to do. Or would you fit it, like you just said, a Lego into a bigger structure that provides value to them so they don't have to start from scratch? Because that ramp up time costs money. Yep. If I can avoid the ramp up time and start on day one after that transaction is done, making money, the strategic buyer would say, I'll do that every day of the week. And, yeah. um, you know, ramp up time costs money, but for a lot of big companies, it's not money they're worried about. It's time. You know, why did, why did, you know, CVS put an offer on Oak Street Health this week for $10 billion on a, on a company that's got 200 units? Mm -hmm. Well, because the market, the company, aging, aging population, medical field. I mean, th there's a runway. They've built a five-year mm -hmm. runway that, you know, you put CVS on it, their money. Now they can go from 200 to 1,000. doesn't matter what they paid. Yeah. And sometimes you're buying time. The, a big company is buying time. Just well, in an deal like that, where you can build the model to look at the future and forecast it, you've got enough moving parts that you can do that. But yeah. if we bring this back to a solo entrepreneur, they're looking at it from the standpoint of, here's what I'm doing this year. I may not be able to forecast out next year or the year after or the year after. And so building that story so that I could potentially think about what's possible so that I could build that model that makes it appealing and bring someone to the table that has resources, capital, people, access, whatever I may need in order to fill in the blanks. Now I made it appealing. And that's because I don't have a bench. I don't have, uh, I don't have 20 direct reports that are going to help me build this. We're doing this on our own. And, and I remember back in my day when I was running my company, you start small, you start grassroots and you build as you go and you build a team. But for the most part, my experience, Courtney is very few entrepreneurs engage their team when they're talking about a sale process, they're afraid to scare them. So they do it in stealth. And they're talking with an outside advisor and the advisor doesn't have access to that great team that you've put in place. So now you're in job one, but now you're also having these conversations on your own. And that's a lot of pressure. Yep. Yep. So it takes a lot of dialogue and a lot of strategy and planning and, and second and third order, third order of thought. But it's doable, and I think it's that's totally I, I think that's what I want people to hear it's is that fun. it's having it's fun. It's fun having the intentional desire to to grow and mm -hmm. using um, you know a transaction as a growth path. Um, having the you know wherewithal to like look at all the possibilities mm -hmm. and and fix the pimples in your business, which everyone mm -hmm. has, and then really trusting someone to go down that path with you because. Yeah. Um, it's a super emotional process yeah. and, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Can we laugh at that moment? Yeah, let's laugh, let's at, laugh that. at that. Let's laugh at that. 
Um, all right, I want to share for our listeners. I'm going to give you the terms, and I just want you to give us uh, a little little round robin on what glossary those- Glossary of terms. Yeah, the Good. glossary of terms. So Good. we, I, I can't stand people that talk in acronyms, and we just talked in so many acronyms. All right, so you said it before, but M&A, what are we referring to? Mergers and acquisitions. Okay. It's synonymous with investment banks or executive advisors. It's folks that will help you explore the sale or the capitalization of your business. I can either get access to capital. It may end up just being I got a new line of credit. Yes. It may end up being I got a friends and family investor or I may sell my company completely. The conversation can lead any one of a number of places, but it's a merger and acquisition advisor that is skilled in being able to help you determine that. And so when, when folks engage a merger and acquisition advisor, depending on what they're looking to do, they could have periodic conversations with them to just explore the market. And that there could be no cost to that, depending on who they're connecting with. It could be discussions to just get a feeler for what's going on in the market for a future transaction. It could be that they want to engage them in strategy and they may engage them on a consulting basis. So they would engage them on perhaps either a retainer or a time and materials basis for a period of time or, or like you would have a board of directors, you'd have an advisor and you would pay them a retainer quarterly to be able to come in and evaluate the business. If it is a transaction that you're starting with a merger and acquisition advisor, then generally a, a strong M&A advisor will get paid when you get paid. In other words, especially in lower middle market, Courtney, as you well know, there is a, a small retainer that is paid usually to the advisor, but the the fee for doing the transaction is back end loaded, meaning it is tied to closing the transaction. So you could work for months on a process and if it doesn't close, the owner doesn't get the goals and objectives that they set out for, the advisor doesn't get paid either. And so the beauty of that is you're both tied to the outcome. So the advisor has a lot of skin in the game, you have all the skin in the game. You work together to build that strategy and go down that path. So it, for me, I love that aspect. We all love, you and I both love pay for performance yeah. because we know how we're gonna perform. Yeah. So we always go for that option and it, it makes the owners feel better, that they're not out of pocket. There are other firms that will require upfront fees. They will have you pay in advance and they will pay along the way, whether you get there or not. And if you don't get a transaction closed and that happens, people hear the horror stories all the time. Deals that go to market that don't prepare well have a lower probability of closing. Right, and I just, uh, um, but I think pointing out in M&A, the success fee is a lower percent at the lower um, transactional price and it gets higher as more value is created. Almost the opposite to if you're transacting a piece of real estate where the commission is higher at the low mm -hmm. dollars and lower as it goes up. So just shed some light, you know, I think the idea is that you provide more value, you get paid more. Mm -hmm. Probably about as simple and, as that. And, and Years ago, they used to use what was called the Lehman tiered fee structure, where the higher the price, the lower the fee would go. And when you think about it from a selling perspective, when you set up your commission programs for your folks that are selling out in your market, do you give them less and less and less the more that they sell, or do you give them a commission structure that makes them shoot for the moon? Sort of the moon. Yep. Yep. And so the, the same premise holds here. In the old format, the way that bankers used to do that, so they would just run a typical process and they may not be fully invested in it, right. but they're just running through the process. 
because the higher the value, the lower the percentage. And so they're going to get what fair market value is. So today, and the way that I usually work with a client, Courtney, is there's a fair market value that your company will command in the marketplace. Taking it above fair market value requires the work. That's building the story. That's figuring out how this fits in with the buyer. So you're building the buyer's value creation process for them so that they can bring a higher valuation to the table. As long as you can justify them paying more and demonstrate that to them, then there's a willingness there for them to come to the table. That's where you get into premium valuations. So that's where you push the envelope a little further. Oh, thank and, you. That's and, helpful. And that's when you're tied to the back end of the transaction with the success fee or transaction fee, now both players get what they want. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Um, customer concentration. What does that look like? What, what does a that great mean? term. Think about who your customers are and what percent of your revenue, total revenue, comes from different customers. So generally we will evaluate a company to look at who are their top five customers. And they'll show us customer one, two, three, four, five. If those five customers make up 90% of their revenue base and customer number one is 50% of that, well, we have a risk factor there. And that's a risk factor the market or any buyer would look at and say, I'm not sure I like that. In fact, in private equity, generally they won't look at any company that has a customer concentration of 25 or 30% or greater, unless there's extenuating circumstances, because it's too risky for them. A strategic player might look at it, but they're going to evaluate it and kind of break it apart to see what's under there. It means that if that customer walks away, I risk losing a lot of my revenue and or profitability. Right. It's, it's riskier for them yeah. because that, that... And it also means that the entrepreneur is, um, to some extent, making decisions based on that customer. So if mm -hmm. that customer says, you know, here's my new terms, they can't fight back because yeah. if they lose no that leverage. customer, no leverage. And yeah. successful partnerships have to both have leverage so they can do what's best for their company. Concentration is, is, an, uh, is, a, is an issue that is addressed by entrepreneurs uh, every day. It is something that they have to live with sometimes because I have this great relationship with this customer. I'm not going to turn them away. And I don't have the bandwidth to go out and diversify my customer base right now. So what should I do? It's a dilemma sometimes. But it also makes it less attractive if you go to market. That's, that's the balancing act that you have to pick. Total balancing act. Yeah. Or, and you can have a, a customer that, I mean, you maybe can't find somebody who will grow. Who's growing as mm -hmm. fast as customer number one. And they want you and they want more of you. But yeah. you have to know that if a transaction's in your future, yeah. you are devaluing your company. Yeah. As a, so I just wanted people to hear about or that. Or you're making it not appealing at all. So a buyer may not even engage. Or not I've appealing. had folks that In have such case. high concentration, a buyer just won't engage. They said, right. it's a great market. We love their product. We love what they're doing. They're they have no diversity and it's too risky. We'll do the deal. And so here's the old adage that advisors have used. I don't really buy into it, but it's, I can get a deal for you. At, at, if It doesn't matter what the price and terms are. I can get a deal for you. Mm -hmm. And so... I could sell that company based on an earnout, and I won't give you any money at closing, but I'll pay you as long as this customer doesn't go anywhere. I'll give you a percentage of the profits as we go forward. Sometimes a full earnout is some, the way someone sells a company. That may be the only choice you have, and if you stay with the business, you can make sure the customer is taken care of. They don't go anywhere, and you get your payout. 
So there's different ways to yeah. structure a deal, Courtney. The customer concentration doesn't mean you can't do anything. It just means you have to be very, very creative and very open-minded yeah. on how you're going to structure it. Yeah, that's good. Okay, and then um, we talked about it, but just uh, what would seasonality, somebody, th what does that mean, uh, and how can a buyer look at that? Seasonality is an important aspect because a lot of uh, buyers will look at trailing 12 months. Uh, a, a good advisor will, will position on trailing 12 months. That means I'm looking at not only January to December if I'm on a calendar year of accounting, but I'm looking at today and the last 12 months of performance. It's kind of a rolling average that you're doing, a rolling calculation and metric, and you're looking at how that's increasing over time. If you have seasonality, you know, Q4 during the holidays is our busy season. We do 50 to 70% of our revenue in the last three months of the year. Well, that's really important if you're selling the company in July and you haven't hit that season yet. So you've got to be able to normalize for seasonality. Mm -hmm. And trailing 12 months is a way to do that. Yeah, and I also, I mean, I, I've heard that you, you could find a company where they had seasonality counter-cyclical to your seasonality, Correct. and that might be a plus. But in normal cases, I just want people thinking about those, um, those spikes mm -hmm. um, are not ideal for your business. So round those out. If you've got a crazy Q4, think about a business you could be in to mm -hmm. make Q1 through Q9 better. And I know, um, you know, I had a business very focused in retail, and having a seasonal business puts so much pressure on your um you know capital mm -hmm. your ar your investment your that team. your team yeah that um trying to smooth those things out before you would think about a transaction is just again part of that strategy and that planning that entrepreneurs need to go through and you may not be able to smooth it out on your yeah. own but that may be part of the strategy that we go to market with together yeah. and that may be a criteria we use for the buyer the buyer may need to have a counter cyclical offering that when you put these two together, it's very powerful. Right. Helps them and helps you. Exactly. Yep. That exactly. makes sense. Uh, EBITDA? EBITDA. Earnings before income, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And, or interest and taxes, depreciation, amortization. It is a measure of profitability that you have net income, which is what everyone understands to be profitability, but then you remove the non-cash things like depreciation, does, depreciation doesn't cost you anything, it's actually for tax purposes. So you're normalizing your profitability by doing what they call EBITDA, which everyone may, laughs at that acronym. It's a very funny acronym. Now, the point on profitability though is we all run our companies as though we can do anything we want. So there are owner perks and benefits that every entrepreneur, every owner utilizes in their business, whether that's having cell phones for their kids or having uh, a sibling that's working in the business only part-time so they can have benefits or some other aspect, or I run all of my vehicles through the business. None of it is illegal. It's just taking advantage of the benefits of ownership. When you go to market, all of those things have to be accounted for. Mm -hmm. And we call that normalizing a business. So you look at EBITDA addbacks. These are things that we add back. Buyer's not gonna pay for an owner's car. They're not going to pay for their sibling to be a, an employee in the company if they're not really doing anything, just to give them benefits. All of these things are addbacks that add to the profitability of the company. So when we talk about EBITDA, why do we need that number? Because generally it's used as a multiplier in figuring out the value. So if I have a company that's making a million dollars in EBITDA, 
And in the business that they're in, it's generally a five times multiplier for valuations, then that business could be worth $5 million. But that means that their financials have to be clean and scrubbed, the ad backs have to be solid, and everything has to be normalized as if on the day after the transaction, the buyer takes over the business and can run it cleanly. Yeah, and I think I just want people to hear. So you had a million dollar EBITDA business and you maybe have 200,000 in owner perks. If you can't show how you get back to that, you know, if it's really 800,000 and mm -hmm. you can't show that million, that's 800,000 times five. That's times a five, $1 exactly. million dollar difference. Yeah, so if, you, if you're taking out $200,000 in ad backs, if you don't put it back in, it's a five times loss to you. Yeah. So every dollar of ad back gets multiplied times the multiplier, and then the numbers get exponentially larger, and owners sit up and listen and say, wait a minute, I'll buy my car out of the company. I, they, I, don't, I don't want to keep that on the books. And so they'll make changes in that last mile before we go to market to make the business clean so that we can present clean financials. I was having lunch with a guy not too long ago and uh, the bill came and he looked at me and goes, do you mind um, picking that up? And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I mean, would have gone in and he goes, oh, because if I pay for that $100, it's really $500. And he was in that exact <laughs> process. He was selling his business and he realized every single, you know, yeah. we all do it. We take out the company credit cards. Sure. And at that moment, that's the time you need to think about it. Yeah. So um, that was helpful. Um, Other terms. Cash flow. Cash flow. How do you drive revenue? How do you transact business? And how do you collect your money? If you don't have cash flow, meaning you don't have available free cash flow, then you have to get the cash from somewhere because you can't miss payroll. You've got to pay your suppliers and you've got to pay down your line of credit, your liabilities. If you don't have the cash coming in from the transaction of business, then you have to get access to capital somewhere else. So a business that is heavily leveraged with low cash flow is a very high capital intensive business. I've got to invest in providing capital so that you can run it day to day. I've never seen a business that succeeds where they tell their employees, we can't make payroll this week, but we'll get back to you next week. It doesn't happen. You're not allowed to do that. So you have to maintain proper cash flow so that you can fund the future of the business. Yeah, and there's a bunch of ways people can get that, but one thing they should can think about is how your customers pay you is totally. a way to change your cash flow dramatically. So deposits, um, prepayments. Taking advantage of net Percentage net, discounts. net percentage discounts. There are ways that you can quickly change your model because presumably you're not working for free. Mm -hmm. You just have some lever that's not maximizing Correct. your situation. And in some cases, Courtney, you, you can switch to a subscription model or yeah. a membership model. You could switch to payment in advance under a more stricter contract that outlines a services agreement we're going to provide and you're going to pay us in advance, we're going to provide the services. Should we not provide them, then there's a cure period of you being able to appeal to that. And if we need to make adjustments, we can reconcile it. But there are different ways to negotiate the way that you transact business to help you improve cash flow. Exactly. Thank you. Clawback. Clawback. And how are you using that term? You mentioned it relative to, um, I think, people, you know, deal structured and then the buyer catches um, headwinds about a business or sales going down. Mm -hmm. So um, it, I think in the term of where a, uh, a buyer might put some protection in place for mm -hmm. their, for their, 
for their own risk protection. So a buyer will generally structure a deal where they're mitigating risk. And if you say I'm going to double my business next year and I want to get paid for that, they may say, well, that's great. That excites us, but we're not going to pay you for it now. We'll pay you for what you're doing now and we'll allow you to be able to earn that going forward. So we're not going to give you the percentages that you want today, but if you deliver on what you think you can, we'll let you earn that back over time. So you can claw back to where you want to be if you succeed and deliver on what you say. There are different ways to use clawback, but it's, it's one of those things where we'll allow you to earn back the right to either gain the percentage back yeah. or get paid for it if you deliver. These are the big ones, and I hope this is helpful in people just thinking about their own um, planning. It's the beginning of the year. Yeah. Love when people get 60,000 feet and think about their, their investments. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I think we just got a, a mini MBA from you, Gary. Um, but I think it's um, always helpful for entrepreneurs, especially at the beginning of the year, just step back a little bit and think about what their possibilities are, but also just kind of, you know, elevate their vantage point of their investment, mm -hmm. which is what these things are. It's what we do seven days a week, but it's, it's their investment and look at what are all the possibilities, what are the nuances, what are the things they could be thinking about as they plan and strategize and execute on their years. So thank you for all the, the tips and the insight, and um, I think you gave people a lot of resources and certainly things to ponder on. Thank you, Courtney. This was fun. I always love sitting and talking together on this. Uh, it's a great subject, and entrepreneurs are well-served to be able to delve into it.